You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. Let's not act... Like Bruce Arians got Tom Brady there. Let, let's let's not do that. Opinionated. I wanted Tom Brady to stay because I feel he deserved to retire a Patriot. I felt he was owed that. To the point. Cam is going to a place that is rebuilding or he's hand-holding for a younger quarterback. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Pumped to be here on a Thursday on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We got nearly a full show, high school basketball, today on the girls' side between Harwood and Linden Institute. We will be joined, as always, on a Thursday by Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. He'll be with us in about 15 minutes. We'll have some discussion on the Celtics and although I'd like to avoid it, and some talk on the Red Sox as well. But the big local news today is the finalization of the Vermont Lake Monsters situation. So we will talk about that right off the top of the show. And then Alex Abrami, Burlington Free Press, in the uh, 6 o'clock hour, about 6.30, of some local talk. He did some really interesting investigative reporting. As always, you can get in on the Napa Waterbury, Napa Morrisville text line, 802-585-3026, your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. We're going to start with the Lake Monsters. Again, your text messages are wanted. That's coming in at 802-585-3026. Guys, let's get right to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Swanton, Middlesex, and St. Albans, and online at sticksandstuff.com. Um... Let's start with the Lake Monsters. The Vermont Lake Monsters, they got this thing almost exactly right. I am, I would say, happy, in between happy and thrilled with how this whole thing has resolved itself. So, here's the crux of it. The Vermont Lake Monsters are being sold to the Futures League or to an owner in the Futures League. So that the Futures League is a college league which is based in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Connecticut. So it is a New England-focused college baseball league. I was on the phone with someone earlier today who knows the league well, who's a college coach who sends players to the Futures League. He said, it's a good league. The competition is good. It's filled with lower-level Division I players and higher-level Division II and three players, but players who still have pro-ball aspirations. So every kid you see is not coming from Florida State, but there will be Division I players, and there will be high-level Division II and three players. And it sounds like it is a fun league and makes a lot of sense for the Lake Monsters in a lot of ways. So... The, because the players are college players, they don't need to be paid. 
from the team's perspective, th- that is a huge burden for them. That is a huge burden off their back for them. If they had tried to stay in pro baseball, find players, and then pay them, that would have been massive time, massive energy, massive monetary resources, and frankly, resources that I don't really think that they have or want to expend. So getting college players that don't need to be paid will save the Lake Monsters a ton of money. And it is. It's going to be hard to gain advertising, I imagine, for this league, right? They're not going to have the top-notch talent, so I don't know what the revenue from advertising is going to be. So not paying players is huge. If you're going to take a dip in advertising, and trust me, if I am a anybody who's a Lakes Monster sponsor, I am now telling you I'm going to pay you less. I'm going to pay you less. If you're not Major League Baseball affiliate, I'm going to pay you less. So right off the top, they're bringing in less money. Not paying the players is huge for them. It's a 56-game schedule in the Futures League. It starts end of May, very early June, runs into August. So it's played a little bit earlier than the Lake Monsters season was and ends a little bit earlier as well. For the most part, you should be dealing with good weather, so that will be a good thing as well. Um, And nearly all your home games should have the opportunity to be played in good weather, and there's 28 games at home, which is less than the 38 with the New York Penn League. So 10 less games to pay people in the organization also saves money as well, and it creates more urgency to go to a game, so you still may see some good crowds. I don't think we're going to see 3,000 people at Centennial Field for the Futures League. But with only 28 games, with a more compressed schedule, I think that the urgency to get to games will be greater, and therefore at least you will see um, a good crowd at Lake Monsters games. I could see 1,000 people a night there. I could see 1,000. If 3,000 was, you know, if 3,000 is a sellout at Lake Monsters games, maybe 750 to 1,000. With our Central Vermont listeners, text in on the text line 802-585-3026. When you go to Vermont Mountaineers games, what do you usually see there? I have not been to a Vermont Mountaineers game. I will be going this summer. Now that I have this job and I'll be in the area, I will be going this summer to a Mountaineers game as long as we are able. But um, what do you guys see for fans? I'm curious. I could see 750 to 1,000 fans there at Centennial Field in a compressed schedule, and I think that would be good. And without having to pay players with less revenue coming in, they're going to need to save some money, so a compressed schedule could create urgency, get crowds in there as well. I think the Lake Monsters will still do okay in the fan regard. I also think there's going to be, in some way, I think that this league will be a more fan-friendly environment. And that's that's hard to wrap your head around because the Lake Monsters are incredibly fan-friendly. The organization is. The players are generally nice. But the players in minor league baseball, even though they're far more accessible than major league baseball players, they're not really that accessible. Even though you're close at Lake Monsters games to players, you still feel far away in times. Pro players who have agents, they have people in their ear. They're getting shuffled in and out of the organization. There's sometimes a language barrier. Even though they're close in physical proximity to the fans, they feel far away. They feel hard to connect with at times. These guys, though, it's a whole lot different. They're college 
kids. Some of them are playing in experiences like this for the very first time. Your D2 and D3 players that are there, they've never experienced this. So they're going to be all in in a way that's going to make it fun. They're going to connect with you. I promise you one of the true benefits of the Futures League, of any college league, will be the relationships that players have with fans. They're going to stay there for the whole year or close to the whole year. They're not going to be shuffling in and out. And they're going, they want to feel like big leaguers, so they're going to interact with the kids. They're going to interact with the crowd. I have advocated for, for a college baseball league all along in this process. When, when the Lake Monsters said they wanted to stay a professional team, I balked at that from the start. I didn't want a whole lot of that. I wanted a high-level college league. And you are getting a good college league. It is not the highest of levels, but it is a good college league. That is why I am still, like I said, bordering between happy and thrilled. I think this is very good news for a lot of reasons. You know who else it's good news for is Vermont baseball players. And why that is is that the Futures League has a rule. Half of your roster needs to have a New England connection. You either need to be from New England or play at a New England school. Let me repeat that. Half the roster has to be from New England or from a New England school. So you will see the opportunity finally there for Vermont players who are good to go on and play summer baseball in the state of Vermont in a good league. And that is a game changer because good Vermont players have always had to leave or they just don't play. I've seen good college baseball players from Vermont playing in my men's league because that's all that's there. That's not the case anymore. You will have good Vermont players who have a place to go. Rain Supple from CVU was drafted a couple years ago. Now, he may have been too good. He could have played in the Cape or something, but players like that will have a local place to play, and therefore fans will have a reason to go out and see local talent. And then you'll see other players from New England schools, UConn, Southern Maine, Southern New Hampshire, uh, Assumption, University of Maine. You will see good, low-level Division I talent and high-level D2 and D3 talent. The baseball itself should be good. It won't be as good. The fastballs won't be as big. The home runs won't get hit as far. But you'll see guys who care about the game, and I do. I think it will be fun. It will not be as big as the Lake Monsters. They will not be... The Lake Monsters will no longer be a national brand playing in this league. You've never heard of the other teams in this league. I've never heard of most of the teams in this league. The Brockton Rocks I've heard of only because their former head coach was my former college teammate. That's it. So the Lake Monsters will not be a national brand. You will not see 3,000 fans at games anymore. But I do believe you'll see Champ. I believe you'll see players who are accessible, players who are... Uh, excited to be there, players who will stay and forge relationships with with the community members who show up. You have a 28-game schedule in which I do think there will be urgency to get to games. I think there will be fun things that happen at games. The Lake Monsters won't be bound by the A's or by Major League Baseball. They'll be able to be even a little freer and a little looser, and therefore I think even more fun. Now, I worry about There's really two worries that I have. One is the lack of revenue. You're not paying players. That's great. But are you charge? What are you charging for a ticket? 
I would say less than Lake Monsters games. So you're bringing in less ticket less ticket revenue in terms of dollars. You're also not getting as many fans. So now less people at less money. You're also better not be charging me the same for um, concessions, right? If it was five bucks for a beer before, it better be three fifty now. Like that is what I expect playing in a lower level of baseball. So there's less money there. There's also ten less home games there, so less opportunity for revenue. I also think advertising revenue will be down playing in this league. Now, this league has existed now for nearly a decade, so clearly teams have made it work. But if you're asking me what are my biggest hangups on this, it's more from the administrative side for the team than it is for the fan experience. I think the fan experience will be generally good and generally pretty fun. This league and extra innings does an extra inning home run derby off. Things we scoff at at the major league level, but would be pretty cool here. If I'm going to go to a game on a Tuesday night, I don't want to sit there for 14 innings. But a walk-off home run derby, that might keep me there. That's pretty cool, actually. So I'll be willing to watch that. My only other concern about this is with the season usually, I don't know this year because of COVID, but with the season usually starting, very end of May, very early of June. Basically three weeks earlier than the than the Lake Monsters' usual schedule. Kids are in school. If kids are who you're appealing to, are they coming to games for that three-week chunk? It's only a nine-week schedule. And with all the revenue concerns I just told you, are they going to get the kids there that first three weeks? That's my biggest concern. Again, that's a team concern. That's not a you concern. If you go... I think you will be treated to a lot of fun. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We're going to learn more about the Futures League tomorrow. I'm very excited to do, to, uh, to do that. Look, Adam Coffin, WBZ News Radio in Boston, is uh, getting ready to hang out with us. He's on the line now, guys. All right, so let's get a, uh, let's get a little quick return in so we can get the buttons pressed up. Here we go. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com, as he does every single Thursday, although I wish it was on happier of circumstances after watching the Celtics again last night. It's joining <laughs> us now is Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. Adam, how are you? Uh, crappy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> things, things suck, man. <laughs> we're, so, we're, we're, I mean, I get, I guess, you know, just listening to Brad Stevens on the radio a little while ago, I guess I'm having a better week than him. He said he had a root canal and, and dealt with an identity theft issue. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm doing great. Celtics are 15 and 17. Who's most responsible for this mess? Well, Danny Ainge, because he built the roster, and then it's the players, and then obviously Brad Stevens, you know, <laughs> feeling bad for his uh, mouth and wallet and identity and all of that is, you know, obviously subject to blame as well. I mean, nobody is, certainly no one is free of blame in this situation, but I, I think it is on Danny Ainge first and foremost for building the roster, and, and then it's the players for lack of execution. You know, we said all Patriots season that the Pats seemed ill-prepared for the Tom Brady scenario. Like, it almost snuck up on them somehow. Did the Gordon Hayward situation do the same thing to the Celtics? Because I feel like they should have wanted him to stay, and if they thought he was going to leave, there needed to have been a better plan in place. Did they mishandle the Gordon Hayward situation? Well, they definitely wanted him to stay. And, you know, uh, if you believe what was reported at the time, Gordon Hayward at least considered it. Now, it wasn't his first choice. We all know that. So let's not be 
misguided here, but I do think he was at least open to the idea of returning to Boston for a variety of factors, you know, probably Brad Stevens being, you know, um, among the top reasons, but, you know, as far as mishandling it, I guess it sort of comes down to what did you want them to do? Right. I mean, consider that he was a free agent, you know, they, they only had so much control at that point in time, you know, people want to lament the fact that they didn't make the deal with the Pacers to bring in Miles Turner, who was having himself a very good year. And, and obviously Doug McDermott and, and give you a little bit of depth there on the bench and three point shooting and, and a lot of the things that this team so um, sorely has missed and, and desperately needs. But you also if if Gordon Hayward was willing to take that deal, which we really don't know, because he would have to remember he would have to have had to opt in to his final year with the Celtics or sign and trade, obviously, where he signs a new deal with the Celtics and they send that deal off to the Pacers. But he is determining at that point in time the amount of money he's going to make. And if the Pacers aren't, as they seemingly weren't, willing to go to the level of the Hornets, then what are you supposed to do? If he chose money over all else... And we don't ultimately know if if that's the way it worked out or if that was his mindset. Either way, he got the most money from Charlotte. And so that's where he went. You know, there was nothing the Celtics could do about that short of, you know, match that contract, which would have been insane. You know, the yeah. Celtics would have been killed if they had given him, you know, 110, 120, whatever it was, million dollars over four years after what we experienced the last three years. Not to mention the fact that as good as he has been this year, and certainly has played an all-star level, there are, you know, injuries. He's hurt right now. So, yeah. you know, people would have been just bull. They would have been ballistic. So, you know, I, I do think that by the masses, and I'm not saying this about the organization, I think by the masses, by the fans, and and fans can be awful at times. We all know that, uh, and and I'll count myself among those. You know, there was a an element, which this I didn't do. There was an element of taking Gordon Hayward's services when healthy for granted and, you know, dismissing what he did, what he brought to the team and just viewing him as redundant and getting in the way of the development of Tatum and Brown. And I just, I don't agree with that. Now, if Hayward were here, would Brown and Tatum both be putting up 25 plus points per game? Uh, probably not, but also would you need them to? You know, I, yeah. I heard Mike Gorman say this the other day, who is not often critical of the Celtics in such a passionate way as he was. You know, if would you rather, and and I don't know how Tatum or Brown would feel about it, maybe to them, and I don't think this is the case, but maybe th those are guys who care more about being all-stars than winning. But let's just say that's not the case. Let's say they are team first and, and, and you know, team-oriented goals over individually-oriented goals first. And I, I think they are wired that way. I, I do choose to believe that. Would they rather average 22, 23 points versus 25, 26, but win more games and you got more complimentary offense coming from elsewhere? Maybe they would. Problem is, without a Gordon Hayward, without a healthy Kemba Walker, without a Marcus Smart, you know, the, there there is no complimentary offense on this team in any sort of reliable way. And it's a part of what makes this club so difficult to watch. Adam Coffin, WBZ News Radio in Boston, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. The Kemba Walker thing is interesting. His play is his play, but I'm more pointing my finger at him in some kind of leadership role, I think. The fact that this team can't close out games, I feel like it's not a Brad Stevens problem. They can build 24-point leads with Brad Stevens. I don't know. I don't think it's his ultimate um, decision-making that causes those demise. 
And I think Walker should be the veteran presence out there helping keep everything together in the fourth quarter. Am I grasping at straws here? Is there some truth to that? Well, I think the biggest problem facing this team and put it on whoever you want, you know, put it on Stevens for not motivating the right way, put it on the players themselves, obviously, for the ones that appear to be going through the motions on the floor and not having enough pride. But the effort is just not there. And I'm far from the first person to say that, you know, it's a lack of effort, heart, snarl, compete, you know, call it whatever you want to call it. They're just there. They are more often than not going through the motions and you know they Tatum admitted the other day they took their feet off the gas when they were up 24 against the Pelicans and obviously it fell apart and they lost in overtime but you know these this getting embarrassed by the Hawks multiple times losing to you know teams like the Wizards or the Pistons like these are bad teams and maybe you start to look at the the record and say you know you are what your record shows you are as you know as who Parcells I'm paraphrasing but you know, maybe the Celtics are a bad team. I don't believe that. I really don't. But, you know, obviously they're lumped in with all these clubs that I do think are bad teams. And, <laughs> you know, they're and 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 they're losing to them. So I, I don't put it on Kemba to your point specifically about, you know, a lack of leadership and not holding it together. I do certainly think, and he has alluded to as much, that, you know, Kemba Walker's confidence is just down. You know, the guy is is at times moping. You know, he has said his words. I need to keep my head up. I need to, you know, ignore the adversity and, and block that stuff out. And just you know, he, there's, he's not playing with any confidence right now. And you feel for him when you watch, he's missing wide open shots that the guy regularly knocks down. And, you know, my concerns, and I've said this to you before, aren't, you know, I'm more concerned about his health limitations and the knee than I am about shooting percentages you know he's actually played pretty well over the last handful of games you know got off to an incredibly slow start what to me is and I was just talking about this on my podcast with Gary Washburn earlier today is you know I just think there's it's so jumbled it's so out of whack the you know Kemba's in he's out when he is in he's got the minutes restriction when he's out you know, there's there's no de facto starting point guard with Marcus Smart injured. There's no, you know, clear rotation even when everything just becomes a mess. It's like they're two different teams, the one with Kemba, the one without Kemba. And you're not going to get Kemba half the time, maybe more than half the time. And he's certainly not playing back to backs. But is it the first leg? Is it the back leg? There's, you know, all of this. It's just a mess. And it, how could it not be messing with players on the floor as well? I think the, and this is not Kemba's fault specifically, you know, he's going through what he's going through, but just his sheer presence, you know, is, is screwing things up. It's jumbling things around in, in ways that they're having a hard time dealing with. I can't believe Danilo Gallinari, who was like one of 13 when they played last Friday in Boston, went 10 of 11 or 10 of 12 from three last night. How about I still can't get past that. How about put a guy in front of him and don't let him shoot threes from 30 <laughs> feet? Like it's, you know, it's make, you know, I, I know the expression is like Trey Young's going to do whatever he's going to do with like make Delano, Danilo Gallinari guys like that beat you. Like that's what you say about teams. Like when you're playing the box, like don't, don't let Giannis beat you. Let, you know, Middleton more so, or, you know, some of those secondary guys. Well, like Danilo Gallinari is not a secondary star. Okay, this isn't like, you know, Trey Young was good, but like, man, you should have seen what John Collins and Clint Capella did. Like, Danilo Gallinari at this stage of his career is nothing but a shooter. Dude can't move, can't go to the rim. Can't, like, all he does is hang out around the arc and put up threes, and the Celtics just let him. They just let him. It was an he's, embarrassment. He's a man after my own heart. He's like 36-year-old guy at the Y playing with For Julian. Sure. 
with dueling knee braces. Look, he's everything I want to be. But <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, a guy like that can't beat you in an NBA game, especially when what was so disheartening, man, is that I thought that, like, I really thought last night, win or lose, it was going to be a, a statement game, at least in terms of showing you have heart and stones, balls, compete, all that. Like, and, and they just, they mailed, they allowed 40 points in the first quarter and mailed it in. Like the only guys who showed any effort were the reserves. The guys yeah. who came off the bench are the ones that even cut that deficit a little bit, but never to the point where you thought, yeah, they might win this game. The guys who are right there at the top and, and, and I, I sort of see both sides of the coin, all the criticism being thrown at the feet of Tatum and Brown, but at the same time, what else do you expect from them? Because what else do they have around them? And there's only so much they can do that you can still play with a little bit of pride. You know, even I'm not looking for more statistically from Tatum and Brown, just give it a little more, just a, a little more give a crap. And I, I mean, it makes a difference. It, they, they are, you know, I, I got into arguments with people about this on social media last night. You can debate Marcus Smart's importance. And I clearly, and, and someone who believes that he is, you know, a, a key cog and more important than some other people do to not just this team, but a contending team in general. But when Brad Stevens post game is talking about, you know, we need guys to, you know, dive for loose balls, you know, go for every 50 50 ball to to chase down to guys to you know, all the all the whatever, all the different things that he said post game. Like he's basically describing Marcus Smart. He, yeah. really, you know, he really is. You know, we we need guys out there that are just playing with that sort of fire, that sort of tenacity and absent smart. And Tristan Thompson gives you some of it. But your true leaders of this team, they're not doing it. They're just not doing it. Adam Coffin, WBZ News Radio. I will get you out of here on this. Um, I think we can all agree that Cam Newton did a good job in the season of not making excuses. He did a good mm -hmm. job of being accountable in the season. His comments this week on the Brandon Marshall-led podcast about how COVID-19 impacted his season. Do you land there as those are valid reasons or those are excuses that we don't want to hear? I really didn't have any problem with his comments. Me I, either. Fact, I, you know, I, I think he handled all of I, I didn't listen to the entire podcast. I've probably listened to the first half hour or so, but mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that obviously, you know, you mentioned I've I've already heard or or heard on social media as well. I, I I didn't you know there's a difference between excuse making and just laying out the facts. <laughs> and I think what he did was laid out the facts. And he had every opportunity to you know bust on Bill or McDaniel's play calling guys around him inferior weapons. You know any sort of number that he could have done. Um, now I think it was calculated and wise to not do that because right. he also knows that if any team is even going to give him a chance to compete for a starting job in 2021 it's probably the Patriots so why burn bridges and you know those guys that were with him obviously Marshall and Ocho Cinco and and Taylor like they were all prodding trying to get him to do mm -hmm. that and he he wouldn't he held firm and and he was great and you know kind of went the other way praising those guys obviously but um in terms of what he talked about like it I, I am not clearly a physical specimen or a professional athlete or, you know, someone who is as, as uh, trained in, in, you know, all, all the different ways that a guy like Cam Newton is, who is, you know, just a, a, a workout-aholic. I mean, the dude is, is a machine. You know, you see some of those workout videos. <laughs> he is 
Jason Tatum, bringing it back to the Celtics, has talked about you know his breathing being out of whack since yeah you know contracting the coronavirus. We don't know those of us who have not had it, and those of us regular people for that matter. We don't know how it truly affects a person's body. Not to mention it affects everybody differently. So even if you have had it and you know, well, it may have affected you differently for better or worse than it did, you know, did Tatum or, or Cam Newton. So I I'm certainly not going to sit here and dismiss him saying, even though I was asymptomatic. Yeah, I was, I was affected by the coronavirus, which really he didn't even put much on. He put more of it on the fact that he fell behind, you know, like, you know, it's full steam ahead. They're running a 20 year system here. I'm trying to, you know, stay as up to date as possible with no training camp, no OTAs, no mini camp coming in late, you know, signing right before the season in the first place, not knowing any of these guys or these coaches. And I'm just trying to stay on the road. And, you know, I get sidelined for two weeks and I come back and they're four exits ahead of me and I'm doing my best to speed yeah. up and I can't. And, you know, I just to me, that's not excuse making, making that that is what happened. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, that that doesn't suggest that oh that's the reason he couldn't throw the ball like there's there's a a physical element that comes into play obviously where cam newton just straight up wasn't good last year but i think you'd be foolish to think that and i don't want him back so don't confuse what i'm saying but i think you'd be foolish to think that he wouldn't be better next year with all of those things that you normally have that you know you project to have in the 2021 season that he didn't have in 2020 Completely agree with you. I don't think it's excuse-making at all. I think the truth is allowed to be spoken. And we applaud athletes for, you know, we, we say we want the truth and transparency from athletes. He finally gives it. Now people want to crush him for that, too. The only thing I differ on is, you know what, I, as long as they draft somebody, I'd be okay bringing Cam back. That's the only thing I differ on. But overall, I think what you said was spot on. So Adam Coffin, WBZ News Radio in Boston with us every Thursday. Adam, and we appreciate it. And we will talk to you again next week. Pleasure, man. All right, Adam Kaufman. There he goes. We'll get to our takeaways after the top of the hour update into the Red Sox. Should they be extending their young core? They're talking about it. I've got thoughts on that. That's next on WDEV. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, everybody. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Adam Kaufman from uh, WBZ News Radio for joining us. We'll get to our takeaways from Adam momentarily. And if you miss any of the interview, the crew getting it posted uh, ASAP on the Brady Farkas Show podcast page, which is brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. If you ever miss any of the show or our exclusive interviews, you can get it there. Again, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We go up until 645, high school girls basketball, Harwood and Linden Institute. That game being played at Harwood. Uh, speaking of local sports news, Alex Abrami of the Burlington Free Press, we just got in touch with him. He's going to stop by around 6.30 or so. We'll talk with him. He did a really good job on a very thorough investigative repeat, uh, reporting piece on contract structure for UVM men's basketball coach John Becker. Really interesting. I, I think I'm going to have a lot of questions and a lot of comments uh, leading into tomorrow's show about that. The text line is open. The Napa Waterbury text line is open. 802-585-3026. Reminder, hey, if you do text in, 
let us know your name and 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 where you're from. Okay, hey, I'm Joe in Burlington. Hey, I'm Bill in Middlesex. Whatever. You know, we're building the community here. Look, I promise you, if you say something that you think is incredibly controversial, you can just tell me, hey, leave my name out of this one. That's fine. No problem there at all. I No problem doing that, protecting the innocent. Um, if you want to get something in that you'd rather not have your name attached to, but if you just have a random thought on the Patriots quarterback situation, hey, let me know. This is Jill in St. Albans. I don't, you know, I'd love to you know, continue to uh, shout out our listeners. I do get one from an unnamed texter, which is why that kind of prompted that for me. Uh, Brady, great to hear about the Lake Monsters, but what about the Vermont Mountaineers? Inquiring minds want to know. Um, So I have not reached out to the Mountaineers directly. I believe 100% that they're playing this year. The NECBL has plans on their website for a season. The Futures League, which the Lake Monsters are entering, they played last year. They're planning on a season. The Cape Cod League is planning on a season. So all of these other leagues are planning on seasons. Um, I talked to a buddy of mine again earlier today about the Futures League, and I said, hey, man, you're a college coach. Are you, are you hearing that summer leagues are going on? And he said, yeah, as far as I know, everything – is going off this summer, and and the summer looks like it'll be better than the spring as far as teams playing and having a little more freedom with things. I guess my biggest concern is what are the occupancy limits going to look like? This is the thing I think I've taken for granted the most, that in my mind, I have it set that the summer is going to look really good. And vaccination numbers are going to go up, um... You know, the virus prevalence in the summer hopefully will go down like it was last summer. I have this vision in my head that summer is going to be a whole lot more open up. But then I saw a note from VT Digger who said that, you know, state officials are, are hoping for late spring, early summer outdoor gatherings of 150. I think for the, you know, I think the leagues can go on, but for them to make any kind, for the teams to do any kind of business, they're going to have to make, you know, they're going to have to get 750 to, you know, 750 to 1,000 people at games to make it worth it. I do worry about the gathering limits, and I can't speak for the Mountaineers because I'm new in this part of the state. The Lake Monsters are not on terrestrial radio, so there's no radio deal. They're not on TV. Are they going to pay to get the game's video streamed? Not if you can't get fans in there. I don't think they're putting out that expense. If they can't have fans, then, okay, no concessions, no parking. That'll save you a lot of money there. But overall, you're putting more into the product than you're getting out of it. So I worry about occupancy limits. And as we hit the governor's COVID-19 response news conference tomorrow, I I hope somebody asks that question because – I think the Lake Monsters and the Mountaineers are both going to need, again, 750 to 1,000 people to make it good for them and make it a good experience for the uh, for the players. Uh, text message in also from the uh, Napa-Morrisville text line, 802-585-3026. It's Mark in St. Johnsbury. He says, would a pitcher pitching in the mid to upper 80s be able to compete in the Futures League? Yes. Well, at least I, that's a velocity that would work in the Futures League. The Futures League in which the Lake Monsters play, and you're not going to see, I would think, many players pushing 90. I do think you will see guys that can throw 90, but I think you're more likely to see guys that live in that 83 with great control and good movement to 
87 and they can paint. Like I, I think you're going to see guys that live in the mid to upper 80s and some guys that touch 90. I think you'll see a wide range of player, really. I think you'll see the Division Two and Division Three stud. And that guy has pitched 40 innings or so this year, and he's getting out there, and he's well-seasoned, and he's ready to go. I also think you'll see the lower-level Division One player who didn't get a lot of time, the back-end of the bullpen guy who threw four innings as a freshman but throws 91 and has a little bit of control issues, kind of like you saw with the Lake Monsters, right? You see 18-, 19-year-old guys that don't have – great control but have electric stuff i think you'll see a wide range of player division two division three guy that's polished and they kind of are what they are they've hit their peak and untapped potential guy from division one i do like that there's a new england component to it because there's a chance for vermont players to play in this league and maybe that's what mark and st jay is asking for i don't know if mark's got a kid or a friend or a nephew or whatever but uh yeah the the velocity level mid to upper 80s that will work in the futures league and it, the futures league is not as good as the NECBL you the players playing for the mountaineers will be better than the players playing for the lake monsters but you will see still very good talent when you go to centennial field and guys that do care and you know i, I think that that matters so you'll see guys that are playing hard it's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I want to move over to the Red Sox. And again, the text line is open, the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. Hyam Bloom says that they are engaging in some light conversations, he wouldn't get too deep into it, about extending members of the young Red Sox core. And I guess what we're looking at when we think about the young Red Sox core is two players, Rafael Devers and Eduardo Rodriguez. And that's really it. Xander Bogarts already has a contract. He's already here long-term. He's got to opt out, so you might want to work with that, but he has a contract. Alex Verdugo, who's under contract already for a number of years. Bobby Dahlbeck's already here for a number of years. Chavis is here for a number of years. Those guys, they're already locked in. The two that aren't are Rafael Devers and Eduardo Rodriguez. So should the team look at extending those players? In my mind, we'll start with Devers. In my mind, Absolutely, the Red Sox should be looking to do that right now. Right now, the Red Sox should be calling Rafael Devers' representation and trying to get a deal done. Devers is 24 years old. He has two years left of arbitration after this year, so he has three years left total of team control. But if they let this thing go all the way to completion, he'll hit free agency at 27. And there's a few reasons why it makes sense to do this now. One... If they let him go to free agency, they risk losing him. Two, if they let him go to free agency and he's a stud, he commands way more money than he commands now. So logistically, you'd like to better your chances and lower your price. But also, I want to avoid having huge money deals on the books until a guy's like 35 or 36. And if Devers hits the market at 27 and wants a seven or eight year deal, I don't want him on the books until late 34, 35, 36. That's not what I'm looking for. And with Devers' body type, he's already a bigger guy. With Devers' body type, I don't know that he's going to last at third base that long. He very well may transition and become a highly prized first baseman or DH. I'm not sure he holds up at third base that long. So 
if I can get him now at 24 to a seven or eight year deal, I get him till he's 31 or 32. And that is a whole hell of a lot more appealing to me. Offensively, he is a huge part of what this team is doing in the future. A huge part. He's a left-handed complement to Xander Bogarts in the middle of the order. J.D. Martinez is going to be gone soon. So you're going to need to have a new stalwart in the middle of that lineup. That's who I'm looking for. He, Devers is a truly gifted hitter. Truly gifted hitter. He's got power. He's got the ability to hit for contact also. Good eye. He hits to all fields. He led the league in doubles in 2019. He's a guy I want to lock up long-term. He's a guy I want to lock up long-term. As we talk about the Red Sox next core, again, I don't think they're going to be very good this year. But if we talk about when they are going to be good next, it's going to be with that next core. And that next core, I can see Bogart's endeavors leading that next core. And then letting it include Verdugo and Tristan Cass, uh, Tristan Cassis at first base, Bobby Dahl back there, maybe Jeter Downs. These guys are coming. Some of them are already here. While I don't think the Red Sox are that great this year, I also don't think they're light years off. I like what High and Bloom has done, and I think Devers would be the guy who can really make it a great, a great offseason for Boston if they a truly great offseason for Boston if they can get him to a long-term deal. We get a uh, Mark and St. Jay who says he agrees on Devers. Well, now let's switch it over to the other side of the coin. What do we think about extending Eduardo Rodriguez? Text line open, 802-585-3026. This one, extending Erod, this is one I'm a lot more leery of for a couple of different reasons. He hasn't pitched in a year. He's coming off a health issue that we really don't know that much about. Alex Cora says Erod is going to be back and he's going to be perfect by opening day, but he's suffering from a COVID-related chest issue, myocarditis, that we don't know a lot about how he's going to respond to that. I think that that is worrisome, at least where I don't want to rush out and give him six years now, not knowing how he's going to respond at this point. And maybe, and it's unfair to use the health against him, but when a guy, if a guy was coming off Tommy John surgery, we'd use the health against him. So I want to see how he looks before I think about extending him. But even more so than that, I think there's a really good relationship between Eduardo Rodriguez and the Red Sox organization. And I think that that's really big. And I think it really opens up some good opportunities for Boston. I think the team could trade Erod this season get prospects, help refuel the farm system, and then bring him back in free agency. I really believe that. The Yankees a couple years ago traded Araldis Chapman at the deadline, got Glaber Torres, and then brought back Chapman in free agency. I I 100% think the Red Sox could do that with Erod. I think he loves the organization. I think he loves Alex Cora. I think he loves his teammates. And I think he loves the fans. Every time I hear Erod speak about Boston, it sounds uplifting. Now, you can't make a hush-hush deal under the table about this, but I think if you traded Erod, restocked the farm system, and then brought him back in free agency, I could 100% see that happening. And then if I can do that, then I can give him a long-term deal. Because, uh, you know, he'll make it... He, if I'm trading him, he's obviously pitching well this season and making it through the season health-wise. So then... 
he'll be what 29 years old I think next year I could give him a you know I could give him a, a high effort you know a high volume three-year deal a four-year deal I don't want to go five or six for Erod but I could go expensive three-year or a little less expensive but still good four-year 100% but look at the benefit of my plan the Sox again they're not we can we can quibble about whether they're a 78 win team or an 86 win team but either way they're not going anywhere they're not better than the Yankees they're not better than the Toronto Blue Jays and I don't think they're better than the Rays so therefore they're automatically starting from a position of fourth place in the AL East so do they really need to hold on to Erod a guy who may leave in free agency may do you need to run that risk it's a gamble so if you're a team that is looking to win the World Series you can go get Erod. You're not on the hook for long-term money with him. You're not on the hook for COVID health conditions. You give a couple prospects to the Red Sox. You use Erod to try to win a World Series for your organization. He hits free agency. You're non-committed, and the Red Sox can try to bring him back. I, I think the Red Sox could do it. Of course it's a gamble that he'll come back. It's also a gamble that he'll just leave in free agency. And I think it's too risky to just go and extend him right now. Erod is a very good pitcher. I don't see him as Clayton Kershaw. I think giving him six years right now without knowing how he responds to myocarditis, I think that that would be a mistake. Holding on to him for the first half of the year and trading him and getting prospects, I think that that is a win. And then bringing him back in free agency, that would be the icing on the cake there. The Sox can get a few more prospects and rebuild the system further. There aren't that many moves on the on the board left for Hyam Bloom. He's already cashed in the Mookie Betts chip. He's already cashed in the Andrew Benintendi chip. The only chips left are Erod and JD Martinez. And I could see both of them potentially being traded. But Martinez makes significantly more, like double more, than Erod. So from a cost standpoint, maybe there won't be teams lining up for Martinez, but a controllable pitcher who will make, you know, less than you know seven million dollars or whatever by the time he gets traded i think that, that that's a good deal for a team and the Sox can go and they can get a couple more prospects to jump start the rebuild even further and i think that they're not that far off so um the Sox can trade the rental guys that i've already advocated for trading renfro richards adovino etc they could trade all of them but if they could trade erod that's going to bring the best package of anybody and i think that there's a real chance they get better in the long term and then Erod can come back and make them even better for the long term and free agency. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. What do you guys think of my plans? We see one from uh, Dylan in Montpelier who says, Brady, I like Erod. I think he's coming into his own. I do not want to see him traded. I'd rather see the Red Sox extend him. But I understand about the COVID health concerns. Maybe they let him pitch a couple of weeks before they – um, see how he is doing before they extend him. Dylan, you usually don't see contract extensions though in in season. It usually happens now. You have to, like remember Xander Bogarts happened in spring training, or at least maybe it was announced right after opening day, but it happened right around spring training. And then remember Chris Sale happened in spring training also right around opening day. So this is when those extensions happen. Usually contract stuff doesn't happen during the season so if you're going to extend him you're going to extend him on good faith that he's going to be healthy and i'm with you i'm nervous about that 
I'd rather let him pitch, pitch well, and try to trade him. If he doesn't pitch well, then he probably doesn't have a huge market in free agency. The price comes down, and you can still bring him back next year. So I think holding on to him now and not giving him the bag is the way to go. Uh, all right, Adam Coffin. We just had him on. If you miss any of the interview, you can put it. You can check it out on the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Also interesting, we have launched a YouTube channel. So if you search for the Brady Farkas Show on YouTube or search for some of our interviews, you can find not all, but some of our content there from the show. Some of our interviews are available on YouTube. Sometimes, you know, we try to while we're doing the show we try to get the guests on a video chat and run some wires and all that and have the video component there also not every guest is able to do that at the specific time that we're talking to them but uh, adam kaufman was so you can find that interview available on youtube just search for brady farkas radio adam kaufman was talking with us about the celtics he also affirmed what i said yesterday about now former patriots quarterback cam newton in that talking about his bound with coronavirus was not an excuse you know there's a difference between excuse making and just laying out the facts <laughs> and i think what he did was laid out the facts and he had every opportunity to you know bust on bill or mcdaniels play calling guys around him inferior weapons you know any sort of number that he could have done um now i think it was calculated and wise to not do that because right. he also knows that if any team is even going to give him a chance to compete for a starting job in 2021 it's probably the Patriots yeah I, I agree with that I think that Cam Newton was calculated and I think all free agents are calculated so I don't think it's maniacal by Cam in any way I think that he was smart he knows he's a free agent he knows he doesn't have a leg to stand on when it comes to talking bad about the Patriots because he needs the Patriots to be a player for his services and if he wants to play which obviously he does you know he needs to have the Patriots be a team that could potentially pay him this year but I disagreed with Christian Fourier of WEI and I disagreed with Freddie Coleman of ESPN who was on yesterday with us who said that Cam was making excuses that nobody wants to hear sometimes the truth is just an acceptable reason it's not an excuse Cam Newton was compromised by COVID-19 mentally he was shook by it he was rattled by it clearly impacted his focused focus and then when he came back he was slow to process things he was you know this is what cam said yesterday okay i use the analogy today so from atlanta georgia originally right i'm coming to miami i was driving to miami two different cars everybody's on the same wave i'm following this car right i make a phone call to the front car and say hey i got to get some gas but y'all go on boom they still gone I get some gas, get some food, stop by McDonald's, whatever. There you go. But they're, but they're gone, right? And then by the time I get back on the road, I'm behind. I don't think that's an excuse. That is just Cam telling you the truth. He was never able to catch up. I have zero problem with that. Absolutely zero problem with that. I think Cam Newton should be applauded for his honesty. This season, he told you that he was overthinking honest should be applauded this season he told you he was doubting himself honest should be applauded and now he's telling you that COVID-19 impacted me he didn't completely blame the virus he just said factually when I was out for two weeks unable to practice I then felt like I was playing catch-up for the rest of the year and now if I'm back in New England I think I will have a much better handle on things 
I, I think that that's 100% fair. Just because a guy can rationalize his failure does not make it false, does not make it a lame excuse. And you can bag on Cam for a lot of things as far as his on-field performance, namely his ability to throw, his accuracy, his decision-making at times. You can bag on all of that. That's what he signed up for. He didn't sign up to get the coronavirus. Usually, at least when a guy is injured, he's able to be in the meeting room. He's able to meet with the coaches. Cam was away from the team entirely. And that is different than a lot of other injured situations. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I had a ton to s- that I want to say on J.D. Martinez. I may have to get to it tomorrow because, remember, we're about 20 minutes away from high school basketball. Um, Pat from Essex texts in on the Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. He says, nice job, Brady, on describing the Lake Monsters and Mountaineers. You are dead on with the talent level for both leagues and both teams. By the way, the Red Sox should trade Erod for sure to try to get some young arms, see what you can get for Martinez. He's a solid DH and should have some value. Martinez, I think, will have less value unless he's raking, right? If he's raking, then sure, he's got value, but he's making $19 million this year. If you traded him at the deadline, it'd be prorated for the next team about eight, so that wouldn't be terrible um, for a team. So he's expensive. $8 $8 million after the deadline. Teams with COVID, not fans. You don't know what they're going to be willing to take on and all that. And he's uncertain. He's a He's got a player option at the end of the season. So he may be back next year and cost you an additional $19 million. Or he's a true rental player and you've given up a bunch for a two-month run. An acquiring team, that's a hard dynamic to reconcile right there. But... Uh, much more on Martinez maybe tomorrow, depending on how the high school coverage goes. If they're late and into the varsity game, we may be able to get back into it. But Alex Abrami of the Burlington Free Press did an unbelievable job with some investigative reporting. How much money does UVM basketball coach John Becker make, and how does he compare to his peers in the conference? Alex Abrami, Burlington Free Press on the Catamounts. That's next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Just talking about the Red Sox. Now move into some local news with the guy who covers local news better than anybody. It's Alex Abrami over at the Burlington Free Press. Alex, thanks for being with us, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Brady. Well, I appreciate you being with me. You know, you wrote a really interesting piece that came out yesterday in the Free Press on the coaching salaries in the America East men's basketball circuit. What did you find out about how well compensated John Becker is at UVM? Uh, he's very well compensated, and um, you could argue it's it's rightly so, given the success of the program uh, in his tenure. He's now in his his 10th season. They've been to the, they've won, I believe, five outright uh, America East regular season titles. They've been to the NCAA tournament three times. Uh, they lost that chance, of course, last year with yeah. with COVID nineteen. That could have been the, the their fourth. And um, in that time, like he's like like any like any successful coach in college basketball or college football or wherever. Like if you keep having success, you're gonna make more money. <laughs> 
And um, last year, or I guess the past two seasons, his bonuses have added up to $245,000. Hmm. And um, what was unique and, and what got me onto the story, because I, I sort of knew how much he made. I mean, it's public record how much he makes in, in base salary, which is uh, 334K. Um, but we, we heard early in, in January that he got paid out in bonuses of two of like 240, 240K for the hmm. past year. And that seemed pretty high. And we so we sort of looked into it. We asked UVM for for some contract details. And what what happened was um, he made like 127k um, last year. The year before he made like 117, but he got paid out in the same fiscal year. Okay. Just, apparently, some administrative thing with UVM. It one got paid at the start of the 2020 fiscal year in um, in August, and then the other one got paid at the end, like June 30th, like the last day of, of that fiscal year for, for the next year. So that's why they got lumped together. And it looks like he got paid all this money um, in, you know, for one year, but it was really two seasons worth of bonuses that he got paid out. Um, are those bonuses, are those bonuses tied to just straight wins in a season tournament appearances? Yeah. What are they all tied to? So uh, I'll backtrack a little bit um, about after they, after they went, pretty much undefeated well undefeated in the regular season uh, against American East opponents in the 2016, 2017 season. Um, then, and then they beat Albany in the final and they went to the NCAA tournament and beat, or I'm sorry, and lost to Purdue in a, in a, in a close game. He, after that, he was sort of like sought after um, yeah. in, in coaching circles and coaching openings. Uh, he, and obviously he stayed here in, in Vermont and he renegotiated his contract um, and that's where additional incentives were, were placed into his contract, uh, a revenue generation bonus, uh, an academic achievement, uh, a coach of the year got added. Um, and, and the one that sticks out is the revenue generation bonus. And that's basically like the guarantee games that he gets mm -hmm. um, the school to play in. And then he gets a portion of that uh, 50 percent he gets with a cap of 82 grand. So, um, so like, 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 like last year they played Cincinnati, they played at Virginia. So when you get those big time games and you get money to come to, back to the school, he's going to get a piece of that. And I think hmm. that's where, that's where the, the, um, the bonuses started to get up a little bit and also cause they're really good. So like, uh, last year, technically they won the, um, tournament, the America's tournament, uh, because it was given to them, um, by rule from America East the top seed, if the championship game is canceled for whatever, for whatever reason, the top seed gets, or the highest seed remaining gets the, uh, the automatic bid from the conference. Yeah. Um, and uh, so for, from that, he gets, he got 20 K. Oh, go ahead. Keep going, Alex. Co Coach of the year. He got, he got 10 K. Hmm. So, um, so because they're really good, and and they continue to be the top program in the in the conference, and he keeps winning Coach of the Year. He, those bonus incentives are going to trigger, and he's and he's going to get more money every each year. They they continue to be good. Alex Abrami, Burlington Free Press, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. It's a two sided coin. I hear what you're saying, and that these bonuses, some of them are you know, at least now where the program is quote easily attainable. But on the other side of things, they've been so good. Should it all be tied to performance? Because base salary-wise, he's not the highest-paid coach in the conference, as you reported. 
No, he's. I mean, he's uh, out of the. So there's ten now. There's ten teams in the conference with the. Uh, um, NJIT edition. NJIT uh, came in this year, so he's technically in just in base salary. He's fourth out of nine coaches because we don't have Hartford's numbers because Hartford's a private in- institution, and they didn't have to respond to the the public records request. So we don't know how much John Gallagher makes. Hmm. Um, so he's in base salary. He's fourth. But in total compensation, he's second to Ryan Odom. Uh, Ryan Odom is first in base salary, and then he has um, some other incentives as well that gets him north of 500k. So, um, so he, yeah, he, most successful coach, most successful program of the last 10 years, and he's not the highest paid, but he's still very well compensated uh, for his uh, performance. You know, off your story now, a couple of things I want to just kind of uh, go kind of whip around with you. I have speculated on this. I have no knowledge of this, but um, the Boston College job is open. And I have said that Boston College should call John Becker. And if they call, he should listen. Um, Do you think that if Boston College came calling, that's an appealing opportunity for Becker? I I do. I think it's definitely an appealing opportunity. I mean, it, it all depends on what he wants and what Boston college wants uh, in its next basketball coach. Um, I also know John likes it here. Uh, He's built something, you know, they're still waiting for that arena. We all know that's, that's sort of on the back burner considering what's happened with, um, with COVID over the, over the last, over the last year. And they've delayed um, securing the funding necessary to, you know, restart that phase of the construction. Uh, But they're hopeful that that eventually will, will come through. And I know he wants to see that kind of, you know, like that's sort of been something he's been, he's been ca- campaigning for and, and wanting for this program to go to the next level. Um, but then, you know, at the same time, if you get offered a job at that level, well, why would you turn it down? But he, that's going to be a, that's going to be a tough job to get because there would be many other people in the yeah. mix for that. But yeah, he's, his name has, has been tossed into that. I've seen that in several places. I saw his name pop up for the Penn State job. Mm. So you, you don't know. Uh, I think some of that stuff won't be – obviously that stuff won't be settled until until the springtime. Give me a quick take on what it is like to cover high school sports now in this winter season. Fanless high school sports, what's the experience been like? Uh, it's, I, I think it's been it's been good. It's it's definitely strange. Um, you go to a game and there's there's really no one there. It's like a scrimmage in, yeah. in a lot of ways, but it's it's very um, well executed scrimmage, and everything about it looks like a game. But with no fans, it really changes the atmosphere. Uh, and then in some gyms, like you just look like like in, in Essex, they have basically three courts. It's one of the bigger gyms in the state, yeah. and it's it looks really big when there's no one in there. Um, but there is a plus side because when you can't get to a game, almost every game is is being streamed whether it's on youtube whether it's on the national federation uh website um whether it's nsn sports um i think your radio station might do wdevradio.com baby that's it so there are a number of ways to either watch or listen uh to your favorite high school team uh and i think that's i think that's something new that's come out of this we we've had games online before, of course, and games being, you know, uh, broadcast on radio. But now we have almost every game in the state um, online. And I think that's maybe that's something that stays in, in the future. 
Well, and if you want to uh, learn about your favorite high school team, you can do so in the Burlington Free Press from Alex Abrami. And uh, Alex, man, we appreciate the time, the perspective. Great work on the uh, John Becker story. And uh, as I get towards the end of this show, uh, I'm already digesting things that I want to say for tomorrow's show. So, Alex, man, I appreciate it. And we will uh, talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Brady. Absolutely. There goes Alex Abrami of the Burlington Free Press. There is a ton out of that interview I want to get to tomorrow. I cannot wait for tomorrow's show to talk about John Becker's contract and the contract bonus structure that he has at UVM. To hear that he is fourth in the conference in base salary with all the success that they have, I got 24 hours now to let this whole thing marinate, but that is awfully surprising to me and not something that uh, I enjoy hearing if I'm a UVM fan. So here's what we will do. Thanks to Alex Abrami for joining us. We will step aside. I'll get the word down the line from Brent Curtis and company to see how close we are to tip-off of the basketball game between Linden and Harwood. So uh, I'll be right back. Stay tuned here. About 60 seconds, I'll have the update for you on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV.